the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Oh, yes, indeed. And a pleasant good afternoon to you. Welcome on board the 18th day of January here at uh, 5.05 and uh, a nanosecond or two. Hope you're doing well on this Thursday afternoon. Starting to get wet and rainy out there, so drive safe. We'll keep you company as you head home or wherever you might be off to this evening. And as you do so, of course, traffic reports coming your way throughout our show tonight, as always. We've got uh, Michael Bennett hanging out in the KFAX Traffic Center, Jarrell Martin in the control room. I'm here in the studio, so uh, what more can you want? Hey, coming up a little bit later on tonight, 6 o'clock hour, our next installment in our ongoing parenting series. Vern Tyler of the Hosanna Parenting Project will be here yet once again. And so uh, if you're looking for a little bit of a refresher course, maybe you're a new parent looking for some great insights or a parent that has problematic children. Do those exist? I think I was a poster child for that when I, <laughs> when I was a kid. In any event, some great insights from Vern Tyler tonight in the Hosanna Parenting Project series right here on KFAX. All right, that's coming up tonight at 6 o'clock. But, uh, but first, if you are someone who enjoys heartwarming stories that once you walk away from them give you a renewed sense of faith in humankind and just quite frankly, make you feel good. Boy, you're in for a real treat. Opening in theaters across the Bay Area, January the 19th, a new film that I think you're going to love. It's called Forever My Girl, and joining us is the producer, Mickey Lindell. Mickey Lindell, of course, has got a long series of credits to his name of films that you probably know, including the 2016 hit Risen, an epic biblical story of the resurrection. He also produced The Grey, starring Liam Neeson, Jackie, starring Natalie Portman, and one of my favorites, The Zookeeper's Wife, that film based on the true story of a Christian couple who helped save thousands of lives during the German invasion of Poland. Now a brand new film out, and Mickey, I love this movie. I've had a chance to see the trailer. I can't wait till it opens up on the 19th, and I've got to ask you right out the gate, how did you find this story or this book? Thank you so much. I'm so glad uh, you love the movie. I love this movie, too. So it's so nice to um, hear someone else uh, feel the same way I, I do. It's You know, this was a book um, by Heidi McLaughlin, and we read the book. And at the time, like you said, we were doing, I mean, probably five movies in a row from Risen to The Zookeeper's Wife, Jackie, Megan Levy, uh, Anthropoid. They were all historical, true life stories that everything like had to be perfect. And we were in Europe and all around shooting. And I think when we came back, we, myself and my team at LD Entertainment, we really wanted to do something light and fun and have music, and we wanted to have just have fun on the set. So we, we um, developed this and said, let's just go make this. And it was really ended up being one of the best times I've ever had on set because everybody could play and everybody had fun. And there was a little, you know, little girl, Abby, who plays Billy. And it was just like being at home and enjoying, you know, um, the movie set felt like a family. And it's a film that I think that a lot of folks will readily relate to, not only because the feeling that it's that it endears once you've le- left the movie, but going in, the, the sense of disappointment in life and, and hurt feelings and rejection, and then later on, forgiveness and restoration. It has many of those very, I guess we'd call almost strong biblical uh, lessons that are yep. woven throughout the story. Absolutely. I mean, there is the prodigal son, for sure, and uh, forgiveness and, um, you know, treating people nice. And there's so many themes in here that we really um, wanted to stay true to, because those stories are so great. Just in developing a character like Liam, you know, you really want in a movie a great character arc. And I mean, he starts at the beginning of the movie probably as far away from peace and family and home and as far away from himself as you could see anybody. And so it's really great to watch a character grow and, you know, forgive himself 
and forgive others and have and, and to be forgiven. I love seeing that in movies. I, I think it's so powerful, and this is really one of those movies that really touches your heart in a way that you you leave saying, you know what, I think I can forgive people. I think I can forgive myself. And at the end of the day, I mean, this is one of those stories that, again, there, there's this sense of, of, of disappointment. Uh, the premise of the film is that the, the star, uh, the country western star, Liam Page, basically leaves this poor woman at the altar to go and pursue fame and fortune. And after about an eight-year absence, comes back to that little southern hometown, and not only is the girl that he left at the altar waiting um, now grown into a very independent woman, but there's also a surprise waiting for him. That's true. <laughs> Her name is Billy, and that's what I, really I love about the title, Forever My Girl. It really, everyone goes in and thinks it's a, a, a romance between the two to get back together, but really he falls in love with his daughter who he didn't know he had so there's such a surprise element there that that when you start to see their relationship grow you can see his love for Josie and for Billy and you you actually physically watch him fall in love with his own daughter and that's just so great and I don't know that I've ever seen that in a movie before you know a, a father really becoming a father and stepping into that role clearly much about the plot line, the story, Forever My Girl, that is uh, very magical. But there's also a great deal of magic amongst the actors. Let's talk about some of your choices. Uh, the, the, the character role of Liam Page, played by Alex Rowe, who we have to say from the get-go, uh, going into this was not only not a country-western singer, it could not sing, did, did not play the guitar, and is not even American. He is British in his roots. What an interesting choice for the lead role and what an amazing way in which he pulls off this role. Listen, I think Alex is such a star, and I think it was one of those things where we weren't going to make the movie unless we found Alex, because I didn't know him before, but um, we saw people, and I was like, no, they can't pull off this, they can't, they can't do the Southern accent, they can't, you know, they're just, they don't have the charisma. Whatever was happening, we could not, and he walked in, by the way, with that Southern accent, so I didn't even know he was British. I literally thought maybe... He was a country star that had taken acting up. I mean, he was playing the guitar, doing something, and, I, and he didn't even play the guitar. But I was like, I, I couldn't believe it, but he really is, is that kind of actor where he becomes the character. And he came in in boots and that T-shirt, looking about like he did in the movie. And I was like, well, that's the guy, obviously. And come to find out, when I, now that I know him so well, you know, he's not Liam Page at all. He's so humble and sweet and the nicest guy in the way. He's not cocky like that at all. But he just came in as a character and he really became Liam, which is why you, you believe him so much in the movie. And, and the chemistry also, I think, uh, Mickey, between um, Alex and Jessica Roth, who plays uh, Josie Preston, the chemistry on screen between those two is so incredibly believable. It's so real. It really is. I mean, and, and it was on the set, too. You just They met, and it was just, yeah, that's why I was saying why we created such a fun set. They were laughing so hard in between takes and afterwards, all that, and that would carry on into the thing, and you can just feel it. They were just, they just were cracking each other up, and, you know, at times when they had to be serious, they were, and there was really, really true chemistry there between the two of them, and, and also between Alex and, and um Abby, you know, the uh, the little girl who plays Billy. I mean, that was crazy. The first time I saw them together, I was like, that he he could be her father. I mean, uh, let, really... let's, let's, let's talk about her, uh, Mickey, because she is a remarkable young actor. Um, she plays, of course, seven-year-old Billy in the film, Abby Ryder Forston. Where did you find her? What, are, what a fascinating child, precocious at moments, lovable throughout the film. Same thing. You know, we saw a lot of little girls for that role. They were all good, but, like, it was nobody was Billy. And um, I knew she was on a show on HBO that I know the creator of. Um, and um, um, so Mark and his brother did a show called, I think it was called Togetherness. It's not on anymore, but she played a daughter there. And then I got to see some of her other stuff. I think she was in Ant-Man. And so we kept trying to get her in, but she was shooting and all that. And then she came in and met with Alex. And it was really not even an audition. It was really the two of them just talking. And when you finished, I was like, that is, she is, she's Billy. I mean, she just is Billy. She could do it. But she's not from the South. She's not in this. She just is, is such a good actor. And I, I don't know how at that age you teach someone that. I think that's a natural gift that she has. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, and as, as viewers will see when they get a chance to um, 
witness the film themselves. And again, they mentioned that Forever My Girl will be opening at theaters across the Bay Area on January the 19th. She, she plays the role of seven-year-old Billy, who is this mini person who's seven years old and at moments in the film, 45 years old. <laughs> if any of us know a child that has that ability, who can be so young and innocent and yet have such a tremendous grasp of the facts and to be so mature at times and the engagement between Abby and the chemistry that she has with Alex Rowe is phenomenal. It really is. I, and that's that's probably really one of my favorite things about the movie is that I just never get to see that on film. I mean, maybe in Jerry Maguire, I saw that with Tom Cruise. I mean, every once in a while you see a movie where you start to see an adult and a child interact and it's so much fun when it's when it's right. And this is one of those movies. We mentioned about the fact that the lead character, uh, played by Alex Rowe, Liam Page, who leaves his girl at the altar again to pursue fame and fortune as a country singer. Um, there's a tremendous amount of great music inside of this film. Uh, this is going to be an amazing soundtrack. What was it like coming together with uh, these uh, these writers and performers to create all this great music for the film? Yeah, I mean, Brett and the writers were, were amazing to work with. They, um, you know, they came in and, and even before we were ready to go, we had the script and they were writing songs. They'd come in and play the songs. And, you know, you're just tapping your foot and you're listening. And you're like, this is exactly what um, Liam would be going through at this time. So it was really written for, the music was written for the movie. But I tell you, even without the movie, I have the soundtrack now and Universal's doing the soundtrack and it's just coming out. I have it, and I listen to those songs all the time. They're just great songs. I mean, they're really well-written, smart country music. Uh, you know, and, and I didn't even know country music that well, but I've become now a big country music fan through this process, and these songs are great. There are so many great takeaways from this film. In addition to the great country music, of course, the storyline is wonderful. Great actors throughout, as we've mentioned. For you, in terms of the, the overall production of the film and the big takeaway, um, once you saw the screening of the finished product, for you, what is the big takeaway for the viewer? You know, I think right now, more than ever, I mean, I, I think the last time I felt this was maybe um, around Thanksgiving, when I saw Wonder, I really think that the theatrical movie experience right now, for everything that's going on in the world, and and um, you know something's happening every day, and and there's, I think it's a really great movie to escape and take your whole family. I think you can go from eight to eighty, and everybody can have a great time. And I just, to me, I would love people to just drive home and say, I'm so glad I saw that movie. It was so fun, and you feel. You feel the forgiveness, you feel family, you feel the prodigal son, you feel all the moments in there, but mainly it's just a lot of fun. And I, I would love people to have that experience in theaters. And indeed, I mean, not only does it accomplish that sense of escapism, but I think then, yeah. too, walking away with a renewed sense of faith and hope and in the human experience and the human condition is also one of the wonderful takeaways of this new film. Forever My Girl, again, premiering at theaters across the Bay Area starting January the 19th. You can get a chance to check out the trailer if you want online by going to ForeverMyGirlTheMovie.com. That's ForeverMyGirlTheMovie.com. You can also get information about theaters that will be showing this again, opening across the Bay Area on January the 19th. We've been visiting with producer Mickey Lindell. Mickey, congratulations. It's another great film of yours. Keep up the good work. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, welcome back to the program, 20 minutes after the hour here in the Thursday edition of Lifeline. Some good news tonight, even as we are marking this month in just a scant few days, five days, the anniversary of the historic Roe versus Wade decision that made abortion legal in America. It has been a scourge on our nation for all of these years. The numbers totaling nearly 60 million. And while we should be embarrassed and grieve as a nation for those numbers. We're beginning to see some change in some areas. In fact, in many arenas, there's much to be encouraged about. 
One of the latest news items that we can be encouraged about from a pro-life perspective is word that the uh, Trump administration is now protecting health workers who have religious objections to procedures like abortion and assisted suicide. Tom Roberts, no relation, has a report. The Office of Civil Rights at the Department of Health and Human Services announced a new division on Thursday tasked with investigating complaints from medical professionals who say their employers have violated their religious rights. At an announcement ceremony, Office of Civil Rights Director Roger Severino said no one should be forced to choose between helping sick people and living by one's religious convictions. In the past, the HHS division has mostly focused on patient safety and privacy concerns. Tom Roberts, NBC News Radio. All right, and in addition to that good news, I'll mention as well this evening that uh, a new study was conducted by the Knights of Columbus across the country. And um, I, I think, you know, you, the, the old adage, you eat an elephant uh, one bite at a time, making small strides, small advances, all goes toward the eventual goal of protecting life through and through in our nation um, in, in response to Roe versus Wade. But this new survey certainly, again, shedding more light on changing attitudes considering abortion in America, one that determined that Americans across the country favor limiting abortion to the first trimester by fully 76%. 50% of Americans want abortion either to be rare or to prohibit it entirely. And that certainly is moving the needle in the right direction. Joining me today in studio is Reverend Walter Hoy and his charming wife, Lori. He is founder and president of Issues for Life Foundation, has been standing at the forefront of this battle, particularly from an educational standpoint, for many, many years. And uh, Reverend Hoy, always good to see you. Laura, you as well. These numbers are beginning to tell a story. Uh, yeah, they are. There was a season, and you and I have both been involved in this mm-hmm. for many, many years now. Um, there was a season where we were very encouraged, and then there was a season in which it just seemed as if we were on a treadmill <laughs> getting absolutely nowhere. You even spent some time in jail yes, for sir. standing up and telling the truth. So there have been some dark moments in that regard, some discouraging moments within the pro-life movement. But now we're beginning to see some advances. Abortion is beginning to decrease. Planned Parenthood centers across the country are beginning to have financial problems and closing. And the changes in some of the attitudes as people begin to discover that the the Madison Avenue-style marketing that's tried to make this heinous act acceptable, um, correct, polite, that finally people are beginning to realize the real truth behind abortion. My goodness, it's becoming abundantly clear more and more as we go forward in the pro-life movement that the baby inside the womb is human. And that's breaking the hearts of those of us that are are working towards a day where abortion no longer exists, where women can get the help, the support that they need to move forward. And so we're beginning to see more daylight than we have ever seen before. And I, I like it from the perspective that the bottom line is that there's a human being, a little boy, a little girl, a human being inside the womb of that mother and that human being should be protected by law. It should be protected by our Constitution. should be protected by both love and by law. We've been watching, Laurie, for example, over the last several weeks, the Me Too movement. There's been a lot of emphasis on what's been happening in Hollywood. A lot of it, I think, going to the core of the way in which there's just been an overall disregard, dishonoring. A lot of this, I think, we find the roots going back to the 1960s, the so-called free love movement at levels after two generations of this propaganda in movies, on television, every, every aspect of life, uh, the over-sexualization of our, of our society. And now finally coming to full circle, we're, we're beginning to see even Hollywood saying, we think there's a problem here. Um, does this give you a sense of encouragement that the matter of valuing women more and ultimately realizing that every time an abortion takes place, a woman is being devalued and 50% of the abortions that take place are taking the lives of women 
in this country. Do you think those realities are slowly starting to seep in? Well, it, it appears that they're slowly starting to sink in, and we're starting to realize that women have been commoditized. Women have been seen as sex objects. Women have been um, abused in a, in a lot of respects because when you disconnect actual the sexual act from procreation, from marriage, from God's original intent— then you end up with all of these offshoots of problems that continue to degrade women and erode our society. And so women are now coming forth and saying, hey, we no longer want to be seen as sex objects. Then you're going to have to continue to take that a little bit further. We no longer want to be seen as objects, period. And every life, including that life in the womb, which... The sex outside of marriage directly contributes to the abortion numbers and poverty and, I mean, the list just goes on and on. We need to respect life from its inception. You know, God knew you before you were in your mother's womb. We need to respect God's decision to create a life, and then we need to give that life an opportunity to be all that God wants it to be without being treated as a commodity, an entity. Um, the, the body parts scandal where, you know, Planned Parenthood is harvesting. It's interesting. They're harvesting organs and tissues from human babies and then turning around and saying they're not human. You can't have it both ways. So human beings are getting the respect that they deserve and have long deserved. And I'm glad that Women are stopping up and saying, hey, we're not going to take this anymore. We're not going to do this anymore. But by the same token, the men need to step up and be responsible for their actions and activities as well, which also, I mean, greatly contribute to the abortion issue. And, and there's certainly been, as we've discussed many times in the past, a moral disconnect here. But I think there's also been a tremendous intellectual disconnect here. I mean, I've always wondered when I hear uh, on the far left liberal woman that would say in defense of women's rights and women's independence, we should have free and unfettered ability to have abortions, and we have to protect women at all costs. And I've always thought, isn't that a little disingenuous considering the fact that I would guess probably on average one out of every two abortions, if you look at the same general population numbers, one out of every two abortions is taking the life of a woman? The intellectual dishonesty behind a lot of this, I think, has troubled a lot of people, and nobody's been willing to stand up and say, wait a minute. Okay, if, if you don't want to buy in to the cause of life because you see it as a Judeo principle of value in life or a Christian principle of value in life or just a basic moral human principle, what about the intellectual reality of what's happening here that science demonstrates every time you take a baby's life, one out of two children that are aborted, are going to be women. What happens to their human rights? Exactly. It's like the women outside the womb count more than the women in the womb. And abortion not only destroys that little woman in the womb, it destroys the woman that's having the abortion as well. The physical consequences, the emotional consequences, There's, I'm sure there's scientific data that says to the contrary, but there is no way you can take the life of an innocent person and not be impacted. Well, and, and, you know, I would even wonder to your, to your point or question about scientific data to the contrary. If anything, we're beginning to learn that there's a slow admission by the pro-abortion side of the equation that this can be problematic, that they are beginning to offer counseling services. I've even heard suggestions that there could be for some women post-traumatic stress disorder similar to a woman that is postpartum. So they've tried to deny it, and now you have two or three generations worth of women that reach a point in their life, sometimes in their 50s and 60s, and we've heard stories of those that have gone through counseling programs that are 70 and 80 years old, said, you know, I had an abortion even before it was legal, and have carried this burden with me that I could never put a name on, could never fully understand, could never talk to anybody about, 
but had this weepiness inside of me for lo these 30, 40 plus 50 years, and now finally I know what it is. So it's becoming more and more difficult to hide behind the lie, isn't it? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, women are speaking out because, like I said, you cannot be unimpacted by abortion. And the pain goes somewhere. It comes out in your life in a whole lot of different ways, you know, promiscuity, drug abuse, overeating. I mean, it comes out because we're human and we cannot suppress that. But the other side is having, like you said, the sheer numbers are forcing them to have to come to the reality that they have done damage to millions of women with, you know, with no conscience. I mean, they they did it for the money and they, you know, now they're going to offer counseling, you know, 45, 50, 60 years later to women who have been hurt and damaged, you know, some beyond repair. I mean, so we've got to, I'm, you know, grateful that they have acknowledged it, but we also have to deal with the reality that until we confess our part in abortion, until we confess it to God and get into a recovery ministry like Rich in Mercy and Bound No More, um, we're not going to be whole. And And this has been the stumbling block, and I want to talk about this when we come back after the break with Reverend Hoy, because this has been the stumbling block even at many levels of the faith community in the inability or unwillingness to come forward and speak to this issue. And you would think at a level this would be a no-brainer. I mean, we know biblically that we are um, created in God's image. We know that biblically God breathes very life into us. We know biblically that God values life so much that he sent his only begotten son to die on our behalf so that we might be forgiven, reconciled, and, and have a restored relationship with him. So we know God puts a tremendous amount, if not the ultimate, amount of importance on the topic of life. He is the very life giver himself. And yet the disconnect that we've seen in some parts of the faith community that mm. has looked the other way or has been silent because some of these stumbling blocks, because of the failure not to just address the pure facts in front of them mm-hmm. or the pure statistics, but to address the silent secret that they are one of the statistics. And because they are one of the statistics, they don't know how to deal with this. We'll talk about that when we come back. I'll mention, by the way, that uh, Issues for Life is going to be doing a special event. It is the annual Standing Up for Life Walk in Oakland. That will be Friday, January the 26th, noon until 2 p.m., meeting at Oakland City Hall. That's at number one Frank Ogawa Plaza in the city of Oakland. And you can get more information by going online to issues, the number four, life.org. That's issues, the number four, life.org. Once again this year, a great lineup of speakers. Father Frank Pavone will be speaking. Sean Carney, president of 40 Days for Life. And Dr. Childress, who was just with us earlier last week, will also be one of the keynote speakers. So we invite you to make a special point to participate and be an important part of this event one week from tomorrow. That'll be Friday, January the 26th, noon until 2 p.m. at Oakland City Hall. Details again on the web at issues4life.org. We'll take a brief time out, come back to more of the conversation as Lifeline continues. Get a look at traffic right now. Here's the latest from the KFAX Traffic Center with Michael Bennett. Michael. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, back to the conversation. Again, if you've joined us a bit late tonight, we're in studio with Reverend Walter Hoy and Lori Hoy. Don't forget the Standing Up for Life Walk in Oakland will be Friday, January the 26th, noon to 2 p.m. at Oakland City Hall. Details on the web at issuesforlife.org. It's a great lead-up to the annual Walk for Life West Coast that will be the following day. That'll be Saturday the 27th in uh, San Francisco. And, of course, they'll go from Civic Center Plaza to Justin Herman Plaza. And uh, there's a big event ahead of time. You can go in and check out the booths and all that stuff. And then at noon, and then from there, they'll march. So we invite you to check it out and uh, be a part of it. The annual Walk for Life West Coast. Go to walkforlifewc.org. Let's talk about the elephant in the room that a lot 
Reverend Hoy don't want to talk about, and that is, as we've discussed, some of the changing mores, some of the changing attitudes. Um, Part of this has been through the process of prayer. Part of it has been through the process of truth-telling. Part of it has been thanks to advancements in technology like sonograms, where you're looking, saying, you know what? Hard to hear somebody say it's just a matter of a bunch of mass in there or fetal tissue when you can see a head and little hands and little arms and little feet. All of these have helped to advance a better understanding of the value of life and I think have helped begin move more and more people away from choosing abortion. That said, though, there is a segment, particularly within the church, that's afraid to talk about this that they suddenly change the subject when this comes up. Why is that? My goodness. Uh, We're talking about a a sin so deep that it's beyond uh, our ability to really comprehend or wrap our our arms around. And it's been going on for quite some time, uh, Craig. Uh, I can remember uh, looking at some literature from Planned Parenthood in the 60s where Planned Parenthood admitted that abortion would take the life of an innocent human being, an innocent human being. No way we would do that. Our conscience would not allow us to do that. Our heart would not allow us to do that. That was unthinkable. Two, we get into the 70s, 80s, and 90s, and, well, it's profitable now. There's a lot of money in it. And, well, maybe it's not really a human being. Till we get up to the day where we're selling baby body parts, and now, obviously, it's got to be human. I mean, the, the body parts are being sold, and they would have no value whatsoever if they were not human. And so it's becoming extremely obvious that, yes, it's been a human being all along. And so now our hearts are rending. Now we're back to where we were, where we have to make that decision. Did I take part in the death of my own son or daughter? My goodness. 60 million, 59 million and change, call it 60 million, that have been aborted since 1973. And I've had conversations with other pro-life people. I've had callers to this program that have said, I don't understand why my pastor never talks about this. We don't do anything on Sanctity of Life Sunday. There's never a discussion. I can't ever recall in 52 Sundays of sermons there was ever a sermon on this topic. Talk about divorce. Mm. Talk about infidelity in marriage. Talk about um, abuse of substances. uh, Even sermons on gluttony. Mm. Everything under the sun but this one. And I don't understand. And then you have to wonder, 60 million Could there be a chance now that this current generation has people that are in the pulpits, has decision makers that are in positions where they themselves have been touched by abortion? And because they have not yet resolved this issue in their own heart and with their relationship with those around them, and most importantly with their God, that as a result, they can't talk about it from the pulpit because they can't talk about it even to themselves. They can't. They can't. I, I get asked a question very similar to this a lot. That there are four reasons why black leadership struggles with the pro-life movement, why they reject the pro-life movement. But the number one reason, that's where you are right now, the number one reason is that black leadership is post-abortive. And what I mean by that, there's an abortion in his or her life somewhere. And now we're getting to a level that's extremely personal, where it's hard to talk about a sin that is so deep, so heinous, so difficult to, to comprehend that you are, are willing now to step up publicly and admit that you did something that at one point was absolutely unthinkable. There are a lot of us that are familiar with the numbers. Mm that have often wondered, well, wait a minute now. We, we know the history of Planned Parenthood. We know the strategy of putting Planned Parenthood centers in minority communities. 
We know from the numbers that are given to us by everybody from the CDC to the Guttmacher Institute, that is essentially the research arm of Planned Parenthood, that of the 60 million children that have aborted, been bo- aborted since 1973, approximately 35% are black children. If you look at the African-American population in America and break it down, and I've learned this from you, break it down based on male, female, age of the ability to reproduce, Mm -hmm. you're looking at essentially 3% of the population, Mm. childbearing black women that account for 35% of the abortions in America. We're talking... 20, 25 million of the 60 million that have been aborted so far. And you look at those numbers, and then you look at the background and history of Planned Parenthood, and you say to yourself, this ought to be clear to even the most ignorant, blind individual that this is genocide. (laughs) There's no question. This is genocide, and this is suicide. Right. So part of it is exterior forces. Mm -hmm. Part of it is interior forces. This would seem, of all the topics in the world... For the African-American community to stand up and say, wait a minute now, what are they doing to us and what are we doing to ourselves? And yet, leadership, and yeah, I'm going to meddle and name names (laughs) because I have that reputation from time to time. Leadership like John Conyers, silent. Jesse Jackson, not a word to say. Mm. I could even talk about people that occupy major pulpits in major churches that have memberships that are 15,000, 20,000 north who never, ever, ever talk about this topic. And now I've got to wonder if what it really comes down to is what you've just suggested and an inability to speak the truth because they're afraid of the truth because this has touched their own lives and they don't know how to deal with it. There's absolutely no question about that. You know, you, you know that, that, that Lori and I have traveled from the East Coast to the West Coast. Uh, we've, we've even been in Hawaii, and we've been discussing this issue, dealing with this issue, meeting with, with leadership, uh, meeting with church leadership, uh, political leadership. We've just done a lot of work in this area. And when we, whenever we meet with, with leaders, it becomes abundantly clear that this has affected the leader personally. And we're talking about there's an abortion in his life. It may be his son. It may be a daughter. It may be a wife. It, it could be a member of the congregation, and we can go even deeper than that. And so because it's so personal, it's extremely difficult because of the nature of it uh, to literally talk about it. And then we can go uh, another step uh, further than that. It's um, it's a sin that there is no aren't programs readily available to help. When I think about particularly the the Protestant Church, how many or can you even name one abortion recovery ministry that's in a Protestant church? Well, let's think about this. There's an astigmatism that's assigned to this in a significant way because – and part of it, 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 it's the fault of the church because we fail to really recognize this. Let's face it. If somebody has been challenged by drug addiction, alcoholism, they join Celebrate Recovery, an organization that I applaud. And then they get up and say, I'm – Three years clean. I'm four years clean. Everybody applauds. And says, God bless. Here is brother so and so. I once was, you know, mm-hmm. such a one as you. But today I am free in the name of Jesus. And everybody applauds. And we make them a big cake and we celebrate. When have we ever said? And now here is sister so and so. She found forgiveness for her abortion four years ago. Congratulations. That never happens. That never, ever happens. So we can, we can talk about being forgiven of the sin of alcoholism or infidelity or even, you know, divorce, remarriage. We get over it. Everybody puts it past themselves. This is one we can't talk about. And if you can't talk about it, it's going to be difficult to confess it. 
And if you don't confess it, how are you ever going to be healed from it? The, and that's the issue. There isn't any healing taking place. Uh, the, the, there are, are other uh, sins that we'll readily talk about, that there are programs where you can go and receive the counseling that you need. Uh, but this is a particular kind of sin that involves both the man and the woman, and there isn't a program for them to come in, sit down, and get the help that they need. And that's something that is has impacted the church deeply. And, you know, uh, to put this in perspective for the folks in the pews who say, I've always wondered why this topic never comes up. Now the light bulb is going on. Maybe it's not come up because this has touched the life of my pastor or his wife somewhere in their immediate family. And then all of a sudden that sense of, ooh, how ugly this is. Jesus died to save lives. And here's who somebody who took a life for convenience. Timing wasn't good. Embarrassment, wanted to avoid embarrassment, things of this sort. Whatever the excuse might be, it's difficult to say we're in the business of preaching a risen Savior around whom the taking of a life is central to our faith and then discuss a senseless taking of a life out of which no good can come, we're just not equipped to be able to deal with this, are we? No, we're not. And that's going to have to come to an end. There there are a few, there are literally two ministries, abortion recovery ministries that I know in the country. One's in Minnesota, Everlasting Life Ministries. One's right here in California, Los Angeles, uh, no longer bound. No Mark and Cheeker Little lead that one, and Brian Denise Walker lead Everlasting Life Ministries in Minnesota, and they are, are fantastic, awesome uh, ministries. But we're talking about two, uh, where we really need to have uh, a ministry like those in every church. And from the leadership down, again, no, no matter where we go, no, no matter who we talk to, it, it eventually gets to the point where this has become a, a personal sin. This is something that the leader is dealing with personally, and there isn't any help. One-sixth of the population, if you look at 60 million, 360 million is the mm. latest statistics we have available coming from um, the, the, uh, the every 10-year census. Uh, one in six. So the likelihood of your pastor having been touched by this, pretty big. Uh, pretty big. The, the numbers are outstanding. When I take a look at the, 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 the 13 leading causes of death in the United States, I'm talking about heart disease, talking about cancer, talking about strokes. Abortion in the black community exceeds those numbers three times. It's it's more than just a problem. It's literally become a Holocaust. We're at the point now where black America has participated in abortion so much that black America is below the replacement Mm -hmm. level. So at this point, we're no longer even replacing ourselves. There is no question that abortion in black America is the, the number one problem. If we don't solve this eventually, There'll there'll come a time where we can reach uh, such a low replacement rate that it'll be almost impossible for us. Well, you you move from not replacing to not advancing to, in fact, disappearing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And some folks wonder, well, my goodness. I mean, there's a sense that some of the necessary arenas in which there should be progress in the African-American experience, economically, politically, and otherwise, has remained static. You say, well, 40 years ago, percentile in America was about 13%. And here we sit in 2018, and it hovers right around 13.2%. And that is not because black folk aren't getting on. (laughs) It's because of the abortion rate. We used to be the number one minority. Mm -hmm. We're not anymore. We're now number two. And so in terms of, of, of those numbers, we're not moving in the right direction. Mm-hmm. And when you take a look at one single situation, you're talking about abortion, 
and the numbers of lives that we have lost to abortion, both male and female, you're getting to the point where this has become absolutely critical. Well, and God gives us free will, but we also have to recognize that actions have consequences. And we never know oh. what. And, and wow. I, I, I've, I've brought wow. this up from time to time, and immediately people get interested in the floor, and they get very uncomfortable when I say, we never know mm. if the one destined to find the genome that is responsible for causing cancer and to bring the cure for cancer forward has not perished in the American abortion holocaust. Or the one man or woman Absolutely. charged with taking up the mantle. Because you look around us today and say, I, I don't know. I know who the last Dr. Martin Luther King was. I can't tell you who the next one is. I, don't, I see some wannabes out there. But I don't see anybody that I would say that leader has the, the, the moral fortitude and the, and the spiritual integrity in order to do it. So then you say to yourself, could that next leader that God had destined to take the civil rights movement from the, the passing of the baton, so to speak, from the tragic death of Dr. King that we just marked on Monday yes. to the next generation that is not with us? Because that life was taken. Wow. I mean, you got to wonder when our old, all of our respective turns comes to stand and give an answer before God, what kind of questions are going to be asked? Oh, absolutely. Uh, we've got to understand that every life is priceless. And the gifts that God has given to that life may have been the answer to many of the problems that we have right here today, uh, the cure for cancer, the cure for diabetes. Who knows what advancement could have been ours right now had the child not been aborted. And so just like God sent the, the answer to our sins through uh, Jesus Christ, a child inside the womb of, of Mary, he, he continually sends us blessings that way. And so abortion, abortion, negates that. Abortion cancels that. Abortion ends that. And it's, in my opinion, much too high a price to pay. If you talk to Joseph, I suppose, at the time, with, I don't think, neither he nor Mary fully understanding the totality of what was about to happen, <laughs> you could say that was probably one of the biggest unanticipated or unplanned pregnancies of all time, certainly the yeah. most mysterious one. Thank God, and I mean no disrespect, somebody's going to hear this and say, wow, boys, he really, you know, pushing the limits tonight. But thank God that abortion was not an option to marry. Mm -hmm. And and by the way, if you're offended by that remark, I'm glad, I'm glad that you're offended, and I hope you do something with that sense of, of righteous indignation in terms of telling the truth. And uh, let me ask you a question as our time winds down. We've hit some nerves tonight, and there are some folks listening saying, okay, I know what you're saying, but I don't know what to do with this. I don't know where to go for this or go with this. I can't talk about this from my pulpit because it's just too close to home. Mm. Where do I go to find mm. healing where I'm not going to feel as if I'm going to have to potentially put my pastoral ministry, maybe my marriage, mm. if you're the pastor's wife, all at risk. Where do I, where do I turn? Well, and I'm, I'm really glad we're getting to that point because it, the Issue for Life Foundation has come up with a, a program that addresses that topic. We've got a program that literally allows us to sit down with that leader, have that intimate conversation, and work through all of those issues. And it's, it's the kind of program that it's taken Lori and I about four years to finally put together, but we finally did it last year. And I'm telling you, it exceeded our expectations. So I'm asking everyone to, to consider supporting our work at the Issue of Life Foundation because we're reaching into our community and we're reaching in in a way where we can actually sit down have that intimate conversation and literally work through those issues because, again, the number one reason 
is because it's it's personal in that leader's life. Mm-hmm. And if you can't get to that level, you can say all you want, you can do all you want, but personally, he's just walking away from the conversation. The conversation is never going to happen. But when you can put a program around him that will allow him and her, husband and wife, to actually sit down and literally work through this issue, it's, it's amazing what can come out of the other And end. if you want to model healing, you need to have experienced healing. Oh, my and goodness. And this is an arena where because so many have not experienced it, they therefore do not know how to model it, or they are fearful of being dubbed a hypocrite before God himself by talking about it from the pulpit, mm-hmm. talking about the need for recovery and reconciliation and healing and experiencing forgiveness, and yet never having experienced themselves, it becomes a quandary. If somebody listening right now says, Reverend Hoy, wow, you have just, (sighs) the Holy Spirit has really hit a raw nerve in my life. Mm. How can I get a hold of you? I need to have a very confidential, very private conversation. How can they reach you? Uh, Email. Send me email. Uh, My email address is life at issues the number four life.org and believe me uh, we do look at every email that's life at issues for life.org you can go to our website and you can leave us feedback that again comes right back to, to us again uh, please uh, contact us because we can have that conversation we can work through this and if you'd like to support this type of ministry please please uh, when you get to our website, click on that donate button. Absolutely. Mentioned, too, in terms of support, the upcoming event taking place Friday, January the 26th. That's a week from tomorrow, 12 noon at Oakland City Hall, number one Frank Ogawa Plaza in Oakland. Details again on the web at issues the number four life.org. That's issues the number four life. Dot O-R-G. I want to thank both Walter Hoy and Lori for being with us tonight. Reverend Hoy, thank always you. good to see you. Appreciate your time. All right, we're going to take a time out. When we come back, our next installment in our parenting series, Vern Tyler from the Hosanna Parenting Project, straight ahead next. So get your, uh, get your notebooks out. We'll get a look at that right after we get a look at traffic ahead of some headline news. In the KFAX Traffic Center, Michael Bennett. Michael, welcome. What's going on? Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. 